This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Washington Today on C-SPAN Radio for Wednesday, January 31st, 2024. Senators on the Judiciary Committee asked the CEOs of five major social media companies tough questions about protecting children from online sexual exploitation. Senator Lindsey Graham telling the CEOs, you have blood on your hands. You have a product that's killing people. One of the witnesses, Mark Zuckerberg of Meta, recognizing families in the audience, he says, who are here today and who have lost a loved one or lived through some terrible things that no family should have to endure. Coming up, portions of today's hearing, and we speak to Politico's tech policy reporter, Rebecca Kern. Federal Reserve holds interest rates steady after the Fed's first monetary policy meeting of the year. We'll hear from Fed Chair Jerome Powell and talk with MarketWatch reporter Greg Robb about when the Fed may start cutting interest rates again. The White House says President Joe Biden will be visiting East Palestine, Ohio, in February as the one-year anniversary of the toxic train crash is about to pass. Republican presidential candidate and former President Donald Trump meets with the Teamsters Union in a bid to get their endorsement. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer criticizes the House Homeland Security Committee's approval late Tuesday night of two articles of impeachment of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas over his handling of immigration and border security. The White House says it was Islamic resistance of Iraq, that's the umbrella group supported by Iran, responsible for the drone attack on the U.S. military post in Jordan that killed three Americans. And the FBI Director Christopher Wray warns that Chinese state-sponsored hackers are targeting U.S. critical infrastructure, such as water treatment plants and the electrical grid, and are prepared to wreak havoc and cause real pain in a future U.S.-China conflict. Associated Press reports that sexual predators, addictive features, suicide and eating disorders, unrealistic beauty standards, bullying. These are just some of the issues young people are dealing with on social media, and children's advocates and lawmakers say companies are not doing enough to protect them. On Wednesday, the CEOs of Meta, TikTok, X, and other social media companies went before the Senate Judiciary Committee to testify as lawmakers and parents grow increasingly concerned about the effects of social media on young people's lives. The hearing began with recorded testimony from kids and parents who said they or their children were exploited on social media. Throughout the hours-long event, parents who lost children to suicide silently held up pictures of their dead kids. That was the reporting from Associated Press. Both the committee chair and the ranking Republicans spoke to the problem in their opening statements. Here is the chair, Dick Durbin, Democrat from Illinois. Online child sexual exploitation is a crisis in America. In 2013, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, known as NCMEC, received approximately 1,380 cyber tips per day. By 2023, just 10 years later, the number of cyber tips has risen to 100,000 reports a day. That's 100,000 daily reports of child sexual abuse material, also known as CSAM. In recent years, we've also seen an explosion in the so-called financial sextortion, in which a predator uses a fake social media account 
to trick a minor into sending explicit photos or videos, then threatens to release them unless the victim sends money. In 2021, NCMEC received a total of 139 reports of sextortion, 2021. In 2023, through the end of October alone, this number skyrocketed to more than 22,000. More than a dozen children have died by suicide after becoming victims of this crime. This disturbing growth in child sexual exploitation is driven by one thing, changes in technology. Senator Dick Durbin, Democrat from Illinois, chair of the Judiciary Committee, opening up today's hearing. The witnesses, the CEOs of big technology companies. Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina is the committee's ranking Republican. Mr. Zuckerberg, you and the companies before us, I know you don't mean it to be so, but you have blood on your hands. You have a product. You have a product that's killing people. When we had cigarettes killing people, we did some about it, maybe not enough. You're going to talk about guns. We have the ATF. Nothing here. There's not a damn thing anybody can do about it. You can't be sued. Now, Senator Blumenthal and Blackburn, who've been like the dynamic duo here, have found emails from your company where they warned you about this stuff, and you decided not to hire 45 people that could do a better job of policing this. So the bottom line is you can't be sued. You should be. And these emails would be great for punitive damages. But the courtroom's closed every American abused by all the companies in front of me. Of all the people in America we could give blanket liability protection to, this would be the last group I would pick. Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican from South Carolina, ranking member on the Judiciary Committee. Back to the Associated Press article on today's hearing. In a heated question-and-answer session with Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg, Republican Missouri Senator Josh Hawley asked the CEO if he had personally compensated any of the victims and their families for what they have been through. Zuckerberg replied, I don't think so. Hawley said, there's families, victims here. Would you like to apologize to them? As parents rose and held up their children's pictures, Mark Zuckerberg turned to face them and apologize for what they have been through. That was from AP. This is what it sounded like at the hearing. Why not? Don't you think they deserve some compensation for what your platform has done? Help Senator, with counseling services? Help with dealing with the issues that your, your service has caused? Our, our job is to make sure that we build tools to help keep people safe. Are you going to platform. compensate them? Senator, our job and what we take seriously is making sure that we build industry-leading tools to find harmful to content, make money. take it off the services, uh, to make money. and to build tools that empower parents. So you didn't take any people. action. You didn't that's take any true, action. Senator. You didn't fire anybody. You haven't that's compensated a single not, victim. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. There's families of victims here today. Have you apologized to the victims? I, Would I, you like to do so now? Well, They're here. You're on national television. Would you like now to apologize to the victims who have been harmed by your product? Show them the pictures. Would you like to apologize for what you've done to these good people? I, I, I'm sorry for everything that you're involved in. Terrible, knowing that you have to go through the things that your families have, have suffered. And this is why we invested so much and are going to continue doing industry big efforts to, uh, to make sure that no one has to go through the types of things that your families have had to suffer. You know, why, Mr. Zuckerberg, 
why should your company not be sued for this? Why is it that you can claim, you hide behind a liability shield, you can't be held accountable? Shouldn't you be held accountable personally? Will you take personal responsibility? Senator, I, I think I've already answered this. I mean, this is, these well, are try issues. Again. Will you take personal responsibility? Senator, I view my job and the job of our company as building the best tools that we can to keep our community safe. Well, you're failing at that. To, well, Senator, we're doing an industry-leading effort. We build AI oh, tools nonsense. that- Your product is killing people. Will you personally commit to compensating the victims? You're a billionaire. Will you commit to compensating the victims? Will you set up a compensation fund Senator, with your money? I think these are-, these are With your money. Senator, these are complicated yes, that, issues. No, that, that's not a complicated uh, question, though. That's Senator, a yes or no. Will you set up a victim's compensation fund with your money, the money you made on these families sitting behind you? Yes or no? Senator, I don't think that that's... Uh, my job is to Sounds make sure like a no. good tools. My, my Sounds job like is a no. to make sure that... Your job is to be responsible for what your company has done. You've made billions of dollars on the people sitting behind them. Are you here? You've done nothing to help them. You've done nothing to compensate them. You've done nothing to put it right. You could do so here today, and you should. You should, Mr. Zuckerberg. Senator Josh Hawley, Republican from Missouri, with Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg at the Judiciary Committee hearing. A political article reads, despite numerous bills, headline-grabbing hearings, and a push from President Joe Biden in his last two State of the Union addresses, Congress has only passed one kid's safety law in the last decade, a narrow measure dealing with online child sex trafficking. Since then, both the House and the Senate have been stymied by disagreement over specific security and privacy provisions and by nearly unanimous opposition from the tech industry itself. At today's hearing, Senator Amy Klobuchar, Democrat from Minnesota, asked some of the witnesses if they would support the bills she has sponsored. Those witnesses, Jason Citron, Discord CEO, Zhao Zi Chu, TikTok CEO, and Evan Spiegel, Snap CEO. My bill with Senator Cornyn, the SHIELD Act, includes a threat provision that would help protection and accountability um, for those that are threatened by these predators. Young kids get a picture, send it in, think they got a new girlfriend or a new boyfriend, ruins their life, or they think it's going to be ruined, and they kill themselves. So could you tell me why you're not supporting the SHIELD Act? Uh, Senator, we, we think it's very important that teens have a safe experience um, on our platforms. Um, I, I think that the, um, the, 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 the portion to strengthen law enforcement's ability to investigate crimes against children and hold bad actors accountable is So is are you holding open that you may support it? We very much would, would like to have conversations with you. We're open to, to discussing further. We do welcome le- legislation and regulation. You know, this is a very important issue for our country, and um, you know, we've been prioritizing okay. safety for Thank teens. Thank you. For- I just, I'm much more interested in if you support it, because there's been so much talk at these hearings and popcorn throwing and the like, and I just want to get this stuff done. I'm so tired of this. It's been 28 years, what, since the internet. We haven't passed any of these bills, because everyone's double talk, double talk. It's time to actually pass them. And the reason they haven't passed is because of the power of your company. So let's be really, really clear about that. So what you say matters. Your words matter. Um, um, Mr. Chu, I'm a co-sponsor of Chair Dermot Stop CSAM Act of 2023, along with Senator Hawley, who's the lead Republican, I believe, uh, which, among other things, empowers victims by making it easier for them to ask tech companies to remove the material and related imagery from their platforms. Why would you not support this bill? Senator, we largely support it. I think the spirit of it is very aligned with what we want to do. 
there are questions about implementation that I think companies like us and some other groups have, and we look forward to asking those. And of course, if this legislation is law, we will comply. Um, Mr. Spiegel, I know we talked ahead of time. Um, I do appreciate uh, your company's support for the Cooper Davis Act, uh, which will finally, it's a bill uh, with Senator Shaheen and Marshall, uh, which will allow law enforcement to do more when it comes to fentanyl. I think you know what a problem this is. Devin Noring, teenager from Hastings, I mentioned his mom here, suffered dental pain and migraines, so he bought what he thought was a Percocet over SNAP, but instead he bought a counterfeit drug laced with a lethal, lethal dose of fentanyl. As his mom, who's here with us today, said, all of the hopes and dreams we as parents had for Devin were erased in the blink of an eye, and no mom should have to bury their kid. Talk about why you support the Cooper Davis Act. Senator, thank you. We strongly support the Cooper Davis Act, and we believe it will help DEA uh, go after the cartels and get more dealers off the streets to save more lives. Rebecca Kern, technology policy reporter for Politico, has been covering today's Senate Judiciary Committee hearing with the tech company CEOs about protecting children from online sexual exploitation and joins us now on the phone. Thank you so much. This was a bipartisan grilling of the CEOs, and, and the audience, too, was not exactly friendly. What came out of this hearing? Well, we had a lot of talk um, from lawmakers pushing for their legislation to um, get uh, supported by tech companies. Um, they asked each um, CEO from Meta, uh, X, TikTok, Snap, and Discord whether they'd back specific legislation. And they really only got support um, for um, from Snap and X on a few bills. Otherwise, we didn't see anything from TikTok or Meta or Discord that they would support changes to um, a, a big law that protects them known as Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act that, that shields them from lawsuits. So that was a big, that was a big takeaway for me, that, that, that the platforms weren't really ready to work with lawmakers on legislation. Was there a sense that it, that was the holdup for the legislation in the senator's Talk about how they have these proposed bills, but they can't seem to get them through. Is it because the tech companies won't back them? That is largely a lot of the problems is the strong lobbying campaign from tech companies. Um, and But on some of the legislation, one known as the Kids Online Safety Act, um, there has been progressive pushback um, from groups um, like those in the LGBTQ community who've raised concerns this could actually harm vulnerable youth because um, there's provisions that allow state attorneys general to enforce the bill. And, and, and as interpreted, it could be those those conservative-leaning AGs could remove content that they view as harmful, like LGBTQ or trans content, and that could harm those communities. So they just worry there could be some um, backlash um, to certain groups. So lawmakers are open to working with, with these groups and changing the bills. But um, so I would say it's both a twofold pushback from tech, but there are some progressive-leaning um, groups that oppose them as well. This was a high-profile hearing, and at times it was emotional. What were those moments like in the room? Yeah, at the start of the hearing, right before the CEOs walked in, um, a ton of um, families of victims 
of child sexual exploitation and families who'd lost children either to suicide or self-harm from from content uh, on the platforms uh, stood up with photos of their of their deceased children. And at one point, uh, Senator Josh Hawley asked Zuckerberg to turn around and to apologize to those families. And so that was a pretty emotional thing. And he said, he, you know, he was sorry for all the things that those families are going through. Uh, he didn't go so far as commit to, um, you know, any payments to those families um, or remittance, which is what Holly also asked for. But um, there was some reckoning, I think, um, with the CEOs that this, the, there are a lot of offline harms that are being caused by content on their platforms. We're talking with Rebecca Kern of Politico. The chair of the committee, Senator Durbin, mentioned that not all the witnesses were there voluntarily. Yes, that is true. Um, TikTok and Meta came voluntarily. They had to subpoena the CEOs of X, uh, Linda Yaccarino, um, Evan Spiegel with uh, Snap, and um, Jason Citron with Discord. He actually was the only one who had to have a U.S. Marshal deliver <laughs> the subpoena to his house. Um, so... Interesting, but they all showed up, some willingly, some not. But um, it, it was a unique panel in that it was really a cross-section of platforms because Discord's very small compared to Meta. And and Senate Judiciary staff said it was intentional to show that this harmful content is on all types of platforms, and they wanted to see how they're each addressing it. But I don't think this will be the last hearing we'll see with with companies. They they could very well bring in different platforms in the future. Well, I was going to ask you, what are the plans next for this issue and for this committee? Yeah, I mean, afterwards, Durbin said he really wants to move this legislation as a package. He has five bills from the Senate Judiciary Committee that passed last year. And Durbin also uh, I'm sorry, Graham also wants that too. Um, but Graham also wants to um, fully repeal Section 230, that law that you know basically prides blanket immunity for tech companies from facing lawsuits. He wants that pull- pulled back completely. Um, it's not a measure that Durbin's publicly supported yet. So, and that will have major tech lobbying pushback. Um, so that could be another measure we see coming out of this. But these bills might. You know, we'll see if Schumer gets them to the floor. That's the big question. We don't have any timing. Uh, we just know Schumer supports kids, kids online safety legislation, but no timing that, that he's committing to bring them to the floor. And we have an election year, so that also throws a wrench in, in timing for these bills. Rebecca Kern, tech policy reporter for Politico. Her stories are at politico.com and on X at Rebecca M. Kern. Thank you very much. Thanks for, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. C-SPAN covered this hearing live, and you can find the video at cspan.org, our video library, Senate Judiciary Committee. A Pew Research survey released today finds that one-third of American adults say they have used TikTok, and that's up 12 percentage points in two years. From CNN, the Federal Reserve held interest rates steady Wednesday for the fourth straight meeting, keeping its benchmark lending rate at a 23-year high as Wall Street eagerly awaits rate cuts sometime this year. The central bank has raised rates 11 times since March 2022 in a bid to combat the fastest inflation in decades. Price hikes have eased substantially since then, inching closer to the Fed's 
2% target. That means the Fed is due to cut rates in 2024, which officials themselves projected last month. But the central bank's latest policy statement released Wednesday pushed back on expectations of the first rate cut coming in March. That was from CNN. Here's Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell at his news conference. Today, the FOMC decided to leave our policy interest rate unchanged and to continue to reduce our securities holdings. Over the past two years, we have significantly tightened the stance of monetary policy. Our strong actions have moved our policy rate well into restrictive territory, and we've been seeing the effects on economic activity and inflation. As labor market tightness has eased and progress on inflation has continued, the risks to achieving our employment and inflation goals are moving into better balance. The Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell at his news conference, reporter asked him when the interest rate cuts could be coming. Gina Smiley from the New York Times. Thanks for taking our questions. Obviously, in the statement and just in your uh, remarks there, you note that you don't want to cut interest rates without greater confidence that inflation is coming coming down fully. I wonder, what do you need to see at this point to gain that confidence? And as you make those decisions, how are you weighing recent strong growth in consumer spending data against the sort of solid inflation progress you've been seeing? Sorry, say that last part again. How are, how are you weighing the growth data and <coughs> consumption data, which have been surprisingly strong, against inflation data? Okay. So what are we looking for to get greater confidence? Um, let me say that we have confidence. We're, we're, we're looking for greater confidence that inflation is moving sustainably down to 2%. Implicitly, we do have confidence and it has been increasing, but we want to get greater confidence. What do we want to see? We want to see more good data. It's not that we're looking for better data. It's a, we're looking at continuation of the good data that we've been seeing. And a good example is inflation. So we have six months of good inflation data. The question really is, that six months of good inflation data, is it sending us a true signal that we are, in fact, on uh, a path, a uh, sustainable path down to 2% inflation? That's the question. And the answer will come from some more data that's also good data. It doesn't, it's not that the six-month data isn't, isn't low enough. It is. It's just a question of can we take that with confidence that we're moving sustainably down to 2%. That's really what we're thinking about. In terms of, of uh, growth, um, we've had strong growth. I mean, if you take a step back, we've had strong growth, very strong growth last year, going right into the fourth quarter. Um, and yet we've had a very strong labor market, and we've had inflation coming down. So I think, whereas a year ago we, we were thinking that we needed to see some softening in economic activity, that hasn't been the case. So I think we, we look at, we look at uh, stronger growth. We don't look at it as a problem. I think at this point we want to see strong growth. We want to see a strong labor market. We're not looking for a weaker labor market. We're looking for inflation to continue to, to come down as it has been coming down for the last six months. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell at his news conference. And on the phone now is Greg Grob, senior economics reporter with Market Watch. Thanks again for being on Washington today. So, no interest rate cut this time, but the Fed tells us the cuts will be coming from the, the statement after the meeting and from the news conference. Do we have any hints as to when? We got more of when it won't be than when it will be. Um, the big news for the market was that Powell really uh, threw cold water on the idea that a rate cut will come as soon as the next meeting in mid-March in six weeks. The market had sort of thought that that would be when they were going to cut. Um, but Powell said he didn't think it was going to come then. 
So now people are recalibrating um, a little bit, thinking maybe May, or and then other people are shifting over to June. So the Fed really kind of had the Powell kind of gave a go slow message here. Um, that was really interesting and important. And he's basing that on what? He's basing that on the sense that we've seen really good inflation since June. Inflation has come down. We've had these low inflation readings. But there's still a sense um, that it might not last. I mean, many of the economists I talk to, it seems like the ones closer to the 1980s, like me, than other people, (laughs) are more worried that it could kind of rear its ugly head again. So Powell kind of sort of gave a nod to that camp and said that they – they're confident about inflation. They really love the numbers we've seen since June, but they want to see some more of them. How many more, he wouldn't say. How many months, he wouldn't say. But he did say, not so soon. And the question always comes up about uh, soft landing, possibility of a recession. Did he say anything about that today? I thought he was pretty upbeat. I mean, he has an upbeat message because we've had really good growth. The economy's been solid, and like I said, inflation has come down. And the labor market has been really good. So the snapshot is pretty good. He refused. A reporter asked him if he sort of wanted to take a victory lap, and he declined. He said it's a little bit early. There are signs, some signs, you know, economists have been really worried about a recession, and some economists, maybe fewer than before, haven't given up on that notion and see a recession coming by the middle of the year. The labor market, we'll get good data on the labor market on Friday, so people should pay attention. And one factor of the labor market, though it looks good, it seems like the sectors that are seeing job growth has been really shrinking a little bit, not as broad-based. That's kind of like one of those early signs that people worry about. So that's, there is some worries about a slowing economy. I don't think the Fed wants to see a slowing economy anymore. They had thought that they would need one to get inflation down, but it turned out they didn't. So um, that's kind of what he said about it. We're talking with Greg Robb with Market Watch. Uh, the stock market has been going up, setting some new records. Did they think that interest rate cuts were coming sooner? They really did. The market has been a, the market thinks that there's going to be maybe six cuts this year. Um, I haven't checked the latest coming out of Powell's press conference, but I still think it's up there. The Fed itself had penciled in three cuts this year, and some officials even think they're going to be less. Um, But, yeah, the market uh, had a lot to think that things were good. I mean, the economy was pretty good and inflation was coming down. So the market really did take a hold of that since maybe October, November, and had been really strong. There was a little bit of disappointment today. It pulled back. Um, we'll see going forward with how they kind of recalibrate. How strong is the economy right now? Um, the last figures we have for the fourth quarter were 3% growth. Um, that was great. And um, before that, in the third quarter, it was 5%. That was greater. So it's coming into the new year with some strengths. Um, does have some weak spots. Manufacturing has been weak. The housing market is kind of a wreck. Um, but otherwise, the economy with consumers are chugging along, spending a lot of money. So things look good. But like I was saying earlier a little bit, people are nervous still that it could um, slip on the ice here. 
And um, that's what people are watching carefully, and so is the Fed. Greg Robb, senior economics reporter with Market Watch. Find his articles at marketwatch.com. Thank you very much. My pleasure. And on Wall Street today, the Dow down 317, NASDAQ down 345, S&P down 79. The House today taking up and expected to pass a $78 billion bill that expands the child tax credit and restores business tax breaks through 2025 for both. The offset for the cost would be cutting the employee retention tax credit, which came out of the COVID-19 pandemic as a way to keep workers on the payroll when businesses had to close but has since seen rampant fraud. A Fox News article says that this bill has faced pushback from an unusual coalition of conservatives and moderate Republicans, albeit for different reasons. GOP hardliners have claimed the bill's child tax credit would be available to illegal immigrants, something that the chair of the Ways and Means Committee has vehemently denied. Meanwhile, moderates, specifically from the suburbs outside of major cities like New York City and Los Angeles, were frustrated the bill does not touch state and local tax or SALT deduction caps. It's also faced some scrutiny from progressives who say the child tax credit provisions don't go far enough. A group of four New York Republicans threatened to tank a procedural vote for an unrelated GOP-led measure over the SALT exclusion, but two sources told Fox News Digital they later secured a commitment from House Speaker Mike Johnson to bring a separate targeted SALT bill to the floor at some point soon. That from Fox. The bill is being brought up today, the original bill, under suspension of the rules procedures, which uses special procedures usually reserved for non-controversial bills, including no amendments allowed and a two-thirds vote to pass. Washington Today continues in a moment. Hi, this is Rachel from C-SPAN's podcast team. I'd like to introduce you to one of the producers here at C-SPAN, my colleague Sean. Thanks, Rachel. If you're a fan of Washington Today, we think you'll also like our evening newsletter, Word for Word, which brings you a recap of the day's most important political and policy events delivered right to your inbox. Read about what happened on Capitol Hill and at the White House and watch video highlights featuring the day's newsmakers. Hear them word for word. Join our community of informed listeners and viewers. Head over to cspan.org slash connect and subscribe to Word for Word today. Thanks for listening and staying connected with Word for Word. Subscribe now at cspan.org slash connect. Thank you. Welcome back to Washington Today, available as a podcast on the free C-SPAN Now mobile app and wherever you find your podcasts. Story from USA Today, President Joe Biden is planning his first visit to East Palestine, Ohio next month to mark the one-year anniversary of a toxic train derailment that raised fears among residents about a health and environmental crisis. The president will meet with East Palestine residents affected by the Norfolk Southern train derailment and assess the ongoing response. According to a White House official who confirmed the visit on condition of anonymity, the date of the president's visit has not been announced. That was from USA Today and some questions about it at the White House briefing today to the press secretary, Corrine Jean-Pierre. The mayor has made some comments, reported comments that seem less than inviting to President Biden to come while praising former President Trump as actually having more impact on helping the situation, getting the ball moving as things have happened. Um, Does the mayor, one, want President Biden to come? Uh, And 
too wise that, from what you're saying yeah. that he's inviting him yeah, he is. But I mean, I'm assuming he wants him to come if he's inviting yeah, well, him why, what's why is he also at the same time have you got have you guys gotten a sense and does it matter to President no. Biden that he's at one end he's sort of I don't know dunking on him while yeah. also calling him to come and visit from what you're so saying what, the, the invite came from from the mayor and and uh, other folks on the ground. So I think that's important, right? The mayor obviously wants the president of the United States to be there. The president has always said he is a president in, for folks who live in red states, folks who live in blue state, doesn't matter if you're in rural America, urban, suburban, he is a president for all. And so let's just never forget that. And I will also want to take a step back. Look, the mayor is allowed to say whatever he wants to say, but he also invited the president, this this president, this current president to, to come. Look. This is, if you think about um, what happened uh, in East, Palace, East Palestine, on day one, on day one, within hours of the derailment, we were on the ground at the president's direction, within hours. And, uh, and he sent personnel there, this is the president, sent personnel, personnel there, EO, EPA, DOT, FEMA, HHS have all been on the ground uh, to support the community till this day. They're still on the ground today. And so, look, the president has been very clear. Anytime there is a situation that happens uh, in a community that is devastated uh, by what, whether it's a whether it's a derailment or uh, a natural disaster, obviously, the president says this all the time. He is there for that community for as long as it takes, and he's proven that. So he's looking forward to going to East Palestine in February. We're going to find the day that works best for the folks on the ground. He always said that when the time was right, it was the most helpful for him to be there. He was going to be there. White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre in the White House briefing room with reporters. Washington Post article reads that less than a year ago, a disastrous train derailment sent a massive plume of dangerous chemicals billowing over East Palestine, Ohio, startling the town of nearly 5,000 residents and onlookers nationwide. Now a new report warns that more of these catastrophes may loom at any given moment. More than an estimated 3 million people are unknowingly at risk as toxic trains full of highly combustible and carcinogenic chemicals used to make plastic move between Texas and New Jersey. The report is published by Toxic Free Future, an environmental health research and advocacy group, and Material Research, a group researching toxic pollution and inequity. That story from the Washington Post. Donald Trump, former president and 2024 presidential candidate, met today with the Teamsters Union in Washington as he seeks that union's endorsement. It was just recently that President Joe Biden got the endorsement of the United Auto Workers Union. Today's meeting, part of a regular roundtable series between rank-and-file Teamsters members and declared candidates for president. Others that have met already include independents Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Cornell West, Democrats Dean Phillips and Marianne Williamson, and Republican Asa Hutchinson before he dropped out. Donald Trump held a news conference after the meeting. Yeah, well, they're wrong about that. I, I've dealt with unions for my whole life. I've had a great relationship with unions, and I do it both ways, frankly. I mean, I have unions, and some jobs I have non-unions. Some parts of the country, does, they really don't have unions, actually. If you wanted a union, they don't have them. Other parts, I happen to grow up in New York, and I've done great there, and we had uh, all union just about. Now, I could have gone a different way, but I didn't. You know, you have 
companies that will build non-union in New York. But I didn't do that, and I think they respected that. I think we had a great meeting today. It's going to be very interesting. Nice to see you all. Thank you very much. Well, most people need it closed down, and I can tell you, uh, uh, and uh, people feel differently about different things, but uh, the unions and the Teamsters, if they don't have it closed down, they're not going to exist. They're not going to be able to exist. Donald Trump, Republican presidential candidate, former president at the Teamsters Union Building in Washington, D.C., after meeting with them. U.S. House Speaker Mike Johnson, Republican of Louisiana, gave his first official House floor speech today since he became Speaker a couple of months ago. The speech ran about a half hour and was all on one subject, U.S. border security and immigration. In the speech, he talked about the House Homeland Security Committee late Tuesday night approving two articles of impeachment against the Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas on a party-line vote of 18 to 15. The articles allege the secretary should be removed from office for not upholding immigration laws and breaching the public trust. Here is Speaker Mike Johnson. Just since fiscal year 2022, Secretary Mayorkas has released, released into the country more than 1.5 million aliens just sent them out into the country on what they call parole. Remember, the Immigration and Nationality Act states very clearly that parole should only be used on a case-by-case basis and a temporary basis. But millions of illegals right now are being granted parole and spending many years in the United States before they're ever even expected to appear before a judge. Some of them are given a, a piece of paper that says, we'll see you in a decade. It's absurd. This mass parole is neither temporary nor selective. It is a clear violation of federal law, and it is dangerous, and it is subversive, and it's intentional. And to make matters worse, we've learned that the Biden administration is now simply, just simply releasing 85% of the illegals who come across that border right into the country. They're coming to a neighborhood near you. For reference, by the way, if you're watching the metrics, in 2013, the Obama administration, listen to this, the Obama administration detained 82% of illegal aliens. How do we go from detaining 82% to releasing 85%? It only happens if this is by design. It only happens if it's an orchestrated, intentional effort by the administration to do exactly that. And that is what the evidence shows. John Adams famously said, facts are stubborn things. And these are the facts, and you can't look away. This is only part of why Chairman Green and the House Homeland Security Committee marked up articles of impeachment last night. They wrapped that up at about 1.15 this morning, and they did very important work for our country, and we will be moving forward swiftly on those articles. It's long overdue. House Speaker Mike Johnson, Republican from Louisiana, today on the House floor. If the House does pass the articles of impeachment, and a vote could happen as early as next week, Against the Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, it would be up to the Senate to hold the trial on whether the secretary should be removed. Conviction on impeachment in the Senate requires a two-thirds vote. The Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat from New York, spoke on the Senate floor today about the Mayorkas case. Last night, while most Americans were fast asleep, a House committee voted to advance the absurd effort to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. The Republican House majority is moving forward with the sham impeachment effort, despite producing no evidence that Secretary Mayorkas has committed any crime. 
House Republicans have not shown that he has violated the Constitution. House Republicans have failed to present any evidence of anything resembling an impeachable offense. Instead, what House Republicans are doing by advancing the sham impeachment effort is denigrating our Constitution, all for the sake of appeasing one person and one person only, Donald Trump. And let this be clear. This unserious spectacle by House Republicans does nothing, nothing to secure our border. While senators on both sides of the aisle are actually negotiating in good faith on border security, House Republicans keep exploiting the border only for political gain, only to help Donald Trump on the campaign trail, instead of working to solve the problem. There have already been many shameful and embarrassing moments in the Republican House majority, but abusing the Constitution by pursuing the sham impeachment effort is a new ignominious low. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat from New York, today on the Senate floor. Senator Schumer also again said that the bipartisan U.S. border security agreement that Republicans had insisted be part of the aid to Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan package is not yet ready for release, but he does support it in passing it all as one bill. But some Senate Republicans and many House Republicans are now opposing the border security deal. Today, the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican from Kentucky, answered reporters' questions about his idea of now separating the two issues that were linked up until this point. You made it conditional for the to Ukraine to have this border security piece here. Looking back at how long and how tedious these negotiations are, was that a mistake to marry these two things together? Well, it's certainly been a challenge to try to reach an agreement on the border. That's why we've been talking about this so long. Um, I always thought it would be a challenge, and it has been. But it's, it's time for us to move something, hopefully including the border agreement. But we need to get help to Israel and to Ukraine quickly. Would you support proceeding on a Ukraine border security deal if it didn't have support of at least a majority or half of your conference? I, I don't know how it's going to end up being presented. And uh, we'll, we'll see what the final package looks like. Yeah. Yeah. How do you Republican voter, how do you voters look at Republicans if the GOP were to kill a bipartisan deal that you cut with the White House because of Donald Trump's opposition? Well, I think I'm going to continue not to comment on the presidential campaign. Um, obviously, this is an incredibly challenging uh, political discussion we've been having. I still favor trying to make law when you can. And I do think that what Senator Langford and his team are going to produce is an improvement over current law. You're asking me a question I can't answer right now, which is what is the, the fate of it? The Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican from Kentucky, at a news conference. NBC News reports that FBI Director Christopher Wray warned about the growing threat of Chinese cyber attacks against U.S. electrical grids and other infrastructure during an appearance Wednesday morning before the House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party. As Wray testified, the Justice Department and FBI announced they had disabled a Chinese hacking operation that had infected hundreds of small office and home routers with botnet malware that targeted critical infrastructure. 
That was from the from NBC News. Here is FBI Director Christopher Wray. Now, when I described the CCP as a threat to American safety a moment ago, I meant that quite literally. There has been far too little public focus on the fact that PRC hackers are targeting our critical infrastructure, our water treatment plants, our electrical grid, our oil and natural gas pipelines, our transportation systems, and the risk that poses to every American requires our attention now. China's hackers are positioning on American infrastructure in preparation to wreak havoc and cause real-world harm to American citizens and communities if and when China decides the time has come to strike. They're not focused just on political and military targets. We can see from where they position themselves across civilian infrastructure that low blows aren't just a possibility in the event of a conflict. Low blows against civilians are part of China's plan. But the PRC's cyber onslaught goes way beyond pre-positioning for future conflict. Today, and literally every day, they're actively attacking our economic security, engaging in wholesale theft of our innovation and our personal and corporate data. Nor is cyber the only PRC threat we face. The PRC cyber threat is made vastly more dangerous by the way they knit cyber into a whole-of-government campaign against us. They recruit human sources to target our businesses, using insiders to steal the same kinds of innovation and data that their hackers are targeting, while also engaging in corporate deception, hiding Beijing's hand in transactions, joint ventures, and investments to do the same. And they don't just hit our security and economy, they target our freedoms, reaching inside our borders across America to silence, coerce, and threaten some of our citizens and residents. But I can assure you, the FBI is laser-focused on the threat posed by Beijing. The FBI Director Christopher Wray, his opening statement before the House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party, holding a hearing today. Others testifying, General Paul Nakasone, outgoing commander of U.S. Cyber Command and National Security Agency Director, and also the heads of CISA, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, and the National Cyber Director. From the Washington Post, China has repeatedly denounced the U.S. government's hacking allegations as baseless. Beijing has accused the U.S. of almost daily and huge amounts of intrusions against the Chinese government with The spokesperson for the Chinese Foreign Ministry saying last year that China is the biggest victim of cyber attacks. AP reports the United States on Wednesday attributed the drone attack that killed three U.S. service members in Jordan to the Islamic resistance in Iraq, an umbrella group of Iran-backed militias, as President Joe Biden weighs his response options to the, the strike. The attribution comes as Iran threatened on Wednesday to decisively respond to any U.S. attack on the Islamic Republic after the U.S. said it holds Tehran responsible. That was from AP. John Kirby, the White House National Security Spokesperson, took questions on this at today's White House briefing. Iran's ambassador to the U.N. warned today that Iran, uh, quote, would decisively respond to any attack on the country, its interests and nationals under any pretext. One, do you have any um, reaction to that warning? And two, more specifically, 
Could that be read as a tacit um, acknowledgement by Iran that the U.S. can keep the Mideast conflict from expanding if President Biden shows restraint in his response that may be forthcoming? Folks that need to show restraint are these groups that Iran backs. Uh, but nevertheless, um, uh, I would just say a couple of things. First of all, as we've said many times, we don't seek a war with Iran. We're not looking for a broader conflict. We're not looking for a war with Iran. That's number one. Um, number two, we have obligations in, in the region, including those to our troops and our facilities. And now, as Corrine reminded everybody, uh, those attacks have taken the lives of three of them. Uh, we will have to do, we will do what we need to do to make sure that um, that uh, those responsible are held properly accountable. And is there attribution yet of who, which militant group or groups were behind this? We believe that the uh, uh, the attack in Jordan was uh, was uh, planned, resourced, and facilitated by an umbrella group called the Islamic Resistance in Iraq, uh, which contains uh, multiple groups, including Kitab Hezbollah. Was KH the principal behind it? They seem to have fingerprints of this sort of precise attack. As I said, I mean, this certainly has the earmarks of the kinds of things that Kitab Hezbollah does. But again, for our purposes today and, and the question you're asking, the attribution that, uh, that our intelligence community is comfortable with is that uh, this was done by the umbrella group called the Islamic Resistance in Iraq. John Kirby is a spokesperson for the White House National Security Council with reporters in the White House briefing room today. Thanks for listening to Washington Today. You can sign up for C-SPAN's evening newsletter word for word. It's free and get the stories making headlines in Washington emailed to you every day at cspan.org slash connect. Have a good night.